You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MZBC Students. If you grab a seat, there's Bibles on the windowsills. If you want to grab one of those, um, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, if you didn't bring one with you or have one with you. Um, what's the darkest place that you've ever been? Think about that. Like, think in your head about the, the darkest location that you've ever been in, ever. So for some of you, like, if, if you stay too late on Wednesday nights and they turn the lights off in that main hallway over there and you're trying to walk through without, like, slamming into one of those kiosks, that might be at least the most dangerous dark place you've ever been, right? Um, but uh, maybe not the darkest. Maybe, maybe you've been camping and it was one of those, like, cloudy, moonless nights and you, like, couldn't see anything at all and slammed into a tree or something. What's the, like, think about the darkest place you're, for me, the darkest place I've ever been was uh, in, in one of these, uh, those, these uh, caverns, right? And with a giant hole in the ground and you'd like pay somebody to walk around the giant hole in the ground. And um, there's like a tour guide and I've been in several of these. I don't remember which one it was, but for one of these, um, they took me all the way to the, the back of this thing. And there was a group of us, you know, we walk all the way to the back and uh, we get to the, the back and there's this like huge, like, just ridiculously huge, uh, what they called a room, which is just a part of a hole in the ground, right? And there's this railing, which is not a fence, mind you, it's just a handrail. And, uh, and, and on the other side of the handrail, there's just like a canyon inside of a cavern. It's just a big hole, okay? And so on the other side of the handrail, there's the giant drop-off, and they let you kind of walk around, you take pictures and like yell echo and stuff. And then eventually, the, uh, the tour guide uh, lady person, she says, all right, so what I want everybody to do is, is make sure you've got a hand on that rail, and I'm going to turn the lights off. I was like, I, I didn't sign up. I didn't sign up for that. I just wanted to walk around the big hole in the ground. I didn't, I don't want, I don't, I like the lights. The lights are, because I've, I've been walking like half a mile down a hole. There's no, there's no other light. And that kind of freaked me out a little bit. And, but I didn't raise my hand because I'm manly. So, but anyway, and, and so they, we did that. We all put our hand on the railing, which is not a fence, mind you. And there's a drop off on the other side of it. Put our hand on the, on the little uh, thing and she turns the lights off. And all these little lights that are all scattered around this huge, massive hole uh, go out. And there's, there's, no, there's, no more, there's no light, like at all. And this wasn't even one of those kind of darkness things, you know, with like the power went off in here. There's that, those like two people that are like, eh, like do that. Nobody did that. It was just like terrifying and silent and unequivocally dark. It was, that kind of, it, was just, it was a different kind of dark than I've ever felt before. I remember how it felt. It felt like it was heavy on me. It felt weird. It felt like I was in space, but space would be better because at least there's like stars and stuff. This was, this was weird. It was the weirdest kind of darkness I've ever been in. You know, last week we, we talked about how um, we, we kind of did an overview of the entire Old Testament, which was fun. And then, um, and then at the end of that, we got to Malachi. We talked about how the book of Malachi closes out the Old Testament and the people of God entered into 400 years of spiritual darkness, of, of silence, where God didn't speak in the same way or really in any tangible way anymore. He didn't send prophets anymore. They didn't have any word from God anymore. The Holy Spirit wasn't doing anything actively in his people any longer. And for 400 years, they didn't have any spiritual light I can just imagine the oppressive darkness of that. 
of, of entire generations passing by without a fresh word from God, without getting to experience like God's, God's presence in, in their lives, not getting to hear any response back from that darkness. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in that kind of spiritual darkness, but I can because that's the same point where every one of us begin. All of our stories begin in a spiritual darkness. We were separated from God, whether we realize it or not, and that's where our story starts. And the New Testament starts coming out of this place of just intense spiritual darkness. And my story and your story starts at a point of intense spiritual darkness, whether you realized it or not back then or now. But so at the time, like the people of God, the people that we're going to encounter here in the beginning of Luke, we're going to start Luke tonight. And so we're in Luke chapter 1 if you want to go there. And so the people that we're going to encounter in, in Luke have been living in this pitch black spiritual darkness their entire lives. Their entire lives they've been living in it. And, and for 400 years, the people of God have been living in it. And, and what's happened is that over that course of that time, more and more people have abandoned the true faith. More and more people have kind of abandoned their faith in God and they've just kind of gone their own way. And some of them kind of twisted true faith and made it more about following a bunch of rules than loving God. And, and it's just gotten to be this, this huge mess. But there's a few, there's a few people who are still um, hopeful. They still have hope that light is gonna come into this darkness and they're hoping for that. It's kind of like uh, when, when every time I go camping. How many, how many of y'all have gone tent camping before? Right? We work real hard to go sleep out outside, like on rocks, right? And every time I feel like I go camping, there's always at least three rocks. One of them's always sort of center of my spine, right? That's where the pointy one is. And there's always a big flat rock my head ends up on, and there's always something like stabbing me in the leg, which ensures that I won't be able to walk correctly the next day. So we go out there, and we sleep in the sleeping bags, right? And then we have a tent, which covers the, like, it keeps rain and wind off of it, I guess. But the bottom of that thing, there's not, like a, there's not a memory foam portion to the bottom of a tent. You're just laying on rock, essentially. And every time, um, I'm skinny. I don't have a lot of cushioning for sleeping on rocks. So it's just like rock, skin, bone. That's all there is. There's no other additional padding in place. And so uh, every, every time I go tent camping, it's about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning when I wake up miserable. Any of y'all with me? And, it, and what do you do when it's one o'clock in the morning and you're camping and, and you're miserable, you check, your, you check your watch and it tells you that uh, you're gonna be miserable for a lot longer, right? And then I spend the rest of the night just longing for sunrise. I, I never long for sunrise. I'm always asleep at sunrise, at least I wanna be. But, but when, I'm, when I'm camping, man, I, I long for, for like the, 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 the light to kind of start showing up in the sky again. I'm just hoping and praying that God will just like do something cool and just like let me skip 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. and just go straight to sunrise so I can get out of this awful tent, right? And I feel like that's probably how some of these people felt who have been hoping for, for light to penetrate this spiritual darkness for so, so long and nothing had happened, but they're still hanging on to hope. One of the guys that was hanging on to hope at least a little bit was a guy named Zechariah. And in Luke chapter one, what we're gonna find is, is Zechariah's story. Is a story that um, is really, really interesting because in Zechariah's story is my story. And it's your story. You're going to find yourself at some point along Zechariah's journey here in Luke chapter 1. So my hope for you is that while, you're, while we're walking through this story together and looking at the way that Zechariah's story progresses just in this one chapter, that you have walk out of here with a very clear picture, a very clear understanding of where you stand in his story. Does that make sense? 
You're going to find him doing things and thinking things that you did and think at some point. And I want you to figure out where you are in Zechariah's story. So the stage is built on this spiritual darkness, this sin and darkness separation from God. And then at the beginning, in verse 5, we see that it says, in, in, the, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Uh, so Zechariah's um, just one of a whole bunch of priests. It sounds like being a priest is a really big deal. And it, yeah, it's, it, it's a thing, but there's a whole bunch of them. All right, so all over this, the, the people of Israel, there's priests in every little town and village. There's multiple, there's like, there's a whole bunch of them. There's probably a couple of thousand priests probably all said and done. Kind of like how there's eight ministers at Mount Zion, at nine, I don't know how many of them there are, right? And whatever, there's a bunch of them. And there's probably, you know, over a thousand in Huntsville, and I don't know how many past that. There's a whole bunch of people, right? So it's kind of it's that situation. So Zechariah is one of these guys, and he's in this division of Abijah, and he had a wife and daughter, uh, who had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They're both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. So they're trying to, to follow God. They're still holding on to hope. They're trying to do this thing. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in, 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 in years. They're, they're getting older. They don't have a kid yet. It's probably, that since that it says it like that, that's not, that's not their desire. Like they, they want to have a kid and they don't. It's probably something they've been praying about, right? So they're trying to follow God. There's this whole kid situation that's a burden to them. And it says that in verse 8, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, uh, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. All right, so that doesn't mean much to you. So let me give you some background here. So of all these whole bunch of priests, they're divided into 24 groupings. And twice a year, they had to leave whatever town they were in and travel over to Jerusalem to the main giant temple of God, like the, the dwelling place of God, like the main temple. So you did two, two, week, two one-week stints at some point during the year. So Zechariah's group got called up, and he's on one of his one-week stints over in Jerusalem. So him and his little group of people go over there, and there's a whole bunch of them. And then they essentially draw straws to see who's going to do some jobs. And, and there's, since there's a lot of them, there's not enough really jobs to go around. So this thing about him being chosen to go in and burn this incense thing is a, is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of deal. This isn't something he gets to do like every Thursday or something. Most of the priests would never be chosen to do this. He gets chosen. It's a big deal. It's like if me, out of one of, you know, whatever, 100,000 ministers running around in the in Southern Baptist thing, if, if they like Somebody emailed me and was like, Britton, we'd like you to present a message for like all the Southern Baptists or something. And I'd just say no, because that'd freak me out. Okay. And so Zechariah gets chosen and he's supposed to go do this thing. Now, this incense deal, you may not know what incense is. It's a, it's a thing that you kind of light on fire and it burns slowly and it makes uh, good smelling smoke. All right. Essentially what that is. And, and that was placed right outside what's called the Holy of Holies. It's the most holy place in the whole temple. Only one person went in there once a year and they put bells on that guy just in case he did something wrong and God would like kill him. All right. So they, they like if the bells stop jingling, that's a bad thing. Right. So this is the most holy place and you don't enter this place uh, lightly. It's like where the physical presence of God is supposed to be. And this incense thing is right outside. So he's right up against the Holy of Holies. This is, this is a huge deal. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing that this guy's getting to do. He's come from a place of spiritual darkness. That's where he's living. There's no word from God. And he's got this honor of getting to go into this temple and burn this incense. Now, the incense thing, I told you, is smoke, right? And so the deal with the smoke is that it's, it's supposed to be symbolic of the prayers of the people. 
So as, as, as we pray, like we, we, we know that our prayer goes up to God. And so the same way the smoke would, would kind of go up and it was symbolic of the prayers of the people of God going up. And so, so in a way, it's, it's, it's kind of a ritual thing where Zechariah was symbolically representing the prayers of the people going up to God. So Zechariah would be a guy who was probably praying as he's supposed to be uh, symbolically lifting these prayers up. So they prayed for all sorts of things, same kind of stuff you would pray for. They also prayed for this whole 400 years of spiritual darkness thing to stop. They'd be praying for God to come back and, and to do what he said in, in Malachi 3, that if, that if they would come back to him, then he would come back to them. The spiritual darkness thing would end. He's probably praying for God to, to end this time of spiritual darkness. He'd be praying for the Messiah to come, the Savior to come. And since it specifically mentioned the thing about them not having a kid, and what we're going to find out in a minute, he's also been praying for a child. So he's been praying. He's there in the temple. He's got this really exciting opportunity. But, but I, 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 I've thought about this. I, I thought about what would probably be going through Zechariah's head. Now, this, this all sounds really nice and, and cool, and there's like incense and whatever, and he gets to have this great honor. But think about this. Like, nothing significant has really happened in 400 years. God hasn't done anything tangible in 400 years. The Holy Spirit hasn't really moved in any specific way. There's no, no prophet has come and, and spoken the word of God. Hadn't, like nothing's really happening. So when Zechariah walked in that day, do you think he walked in expecting anything to happen? When he walked into the temple to light his little incense thing and symbolically represent some prayers, do you think he really expected God to respond? I don't. See, what, I, what if it were me, I'd be honored to be chosen to do this, but I'd walk in there thinking I'm going to light this, I'm going to go through the motions, I'm going to do the little ritual thing that I've been told how to do this, right? There's the incense, you light it, you say some stuff, you walk out. Not really expecting anything significant to happen. I think Zechariah probably walked in that day with very low expectations. I think a lot of us do that. I think maybe that might be your place in the story. It's probably a lot of your place in the story, honestly, where you, you um, come into this place or places like this with very low expectations. Because you've been in a place of spiritual darkness where you haven't felt God do anything. You're not, maybe not even necessarily sure that God really exists in, uh, besides just in fairy tales, right? And so when you walk into a place where God is supposed to be and God's people are supposed to be, you have no expectation of that being real or life-changing in any way. Maybe, maybe that's you. And I get it. Because I came from a place of spiritual darkness. And I, when I first started down this, man, like I, I didn't expect much either. Christians do this too, man. Like it, that's, that, that's, I'm, I'm talking right there to people who haven't become Christians yet, but if you're, if you're a Christian, man, you do this too. Like if you come in here and, and you've kind of gotten um, dry spiritually and you've gotten distant from God and when you walk into greenhouse and, and your expectation is to, you get to hang out with my friends a little bit and um, we're going to sing some stuff, but it's going to be the same old stuff we always do. And Britain's going to talk and I'm going to play on my phone. Um, if that's your expectation, then uh, that's pretty low expectation. I think Zechariah walked in that day with really low expectations. And I think um, sometimes each and every one of us can do that. I think the expectation we walk into a place is really significant. Um, but for Zechariah, his was incredibly low. And maybe that's your place in the story. But 
Zechariah's uh, place in the story didn't stay right there very long. He started with just going through the motions, very low expectations, spiritual darkness. And very quickly, it transitions to the next stage. Look at verse 11. It says, And then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. Dink! I assume that's the sound that angels make when they appear. I don't know. All right. And so there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of the incense. I love how specific that is. It's not like just somewhere. It's on the right side. Like we asked Zechariah whether it was left or right. It's on the right side. The guy who writes this, Luke, he's, he's very specific, which gives credence to what he's writing, by the way. So he says, so this angel, dink, on the, on the, the right side of the altar of incense. So let's pretend this is the altar of the incense. And Zechariah, he's coming. He's going to, like, light the thing or whatever. And he's gonna, supposed to say some stuff over it. And then right here, boop, there's a guy standing there. That would freak me out, man. Like, I would lose my ever-loving mind if I'm standing here and all of a sudden, like, some angelic being, like, beacon of light blind me, like, like slams into just, there it is. Like, when Jessica and I, um, you know, we got two kids, right? And uh, the other day, um, we, were, we were laying in bed. It was, it was late, and uh, we turned off all the lights in the whole house. Kids have been asleep for a couple of hours, and Jessica has to get up to go do one more thing because there's always one more thing when you're an adult. Don't rush to be an adult. It's terrible. And so you got to do the one more thing. So she gets up, does the one more thing. So she walks out of our bedroom door. Our kitchen is next. It's pitch black in our kitchen, and she takes about two steps into the kitchen, one, two, and then screams as if there's an axe murderer literally in the kitchen with her, and she spins to her left because there is this tiny ghost person, which turns out just to be Jack, thankfully, but could have, could have just totally been a tiny little ghost person, just a little standing here, just creepily like, right? I mean, sometimes your kids will freak you out, man, and so, yeah, like, this is happening to me. Like, I've been laying in bed, dead asleep, middle of the night, you know, laying there on my side, asleep, facing off the edge of the bed. And just something inside me just wakes me up. And I open my eyes, and there's two other eyes, like, right there. Like, oh, God! Like, right? That kind of response is Zechariah's response here. I'm just minding my own business. I got chosen by the little lots thing to do the incense. I'm doing the do in the incense. Dink! Ah! Right? That's probably what he did. But, and, but I love verse 12. It's, the, it's the, like, one of the grandest understatements of all of Scripture. It says, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. He peed his pants. That's what that means. <laughs> that, that means Zechariah peed his pants. And he totally should have. That's completely justified. And so now there's this guy standing in the temple with Zechariah, and, 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 it, and it shocks him. Something has changed. Something has appeared. He came in with no expectations. Listen to me. He came in with no expectation, and he was shocked to find something incredible. This happens to, this happens to all of us. We come um, into different points of life or worship services or whatever, man, and we have these incredibly low expectations of whether uh, of God not being real whatsoever or not being able to do anything in our lives anymore because we've gotten so stone cold in our heart, right? But, um, and then he does something astounding. I love getting to talk to people um, after they've uh, been coming to a greenhouse for a while and maybe they've, they finally come to a point where they, they trust Jesus as their savior. And I started asking them about their story and how they got to that point. Because this happens a lot around here. And I ask them about that story, and this is a lot of you that like, have told me this stuff. And I, I love this when I ask you, tell me about the first time you came to greenhouse. Tell me about the first few times you came to greenhouse. And they'll tell me a story about how they came in because somebody told them they should come or maybe we're going to have some food afterwards or whatever. And so they came, very low expectations. And then, then you guys start singing. And then we start uh, speaking and you start 
listening and responding and like, they just, they talk about how there's something far greater than just some songs being sung and some words being spoken. It's not just some singing some songs at a concert. It's not just some guy talking for a really long time. It's, there's something significant there. They talk about how they came into this place and they feel something greater. That's the spirit. As God has promised that when we gather together, that he's gonna dwell among us, that he is here and he is present and living and active and they feel it and all, it's altogether shocking. They talk about how they were shocked to feel the presence of a God that they didn't believe existed. It's shocking, right? Zechariah comes in not expecting God to do anything. And he does far more than he could have imagined. And for some of you, that's where you've been recently. You've sort of come into Greenhouse or maybe you've been in some other thing or maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you finally started doing a quiet time. You started to spend some time with God on, the, and on your own and your life is changing because of that. And you're completely shocked by what God is doing despite your incredibly low expectations. Maybe that's your place in the story. Zechariah was shocked by what happened um, and, the, and then the angel uh, starts moving him on toward this, this next stage. He says in verse 13, uh, don't be afraid, right, sure, um, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth, she's going to bear you a son and you're going to call him John. And you'll have joy and gladness, gladness and, and many are going to rejoice at his birth for he's going to be great before the Lord. He's going to be set apart, so he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Think about how incredible that is. God hasn't done anything significant like this in 400 years. All of a sudden, there's an angel standing in front of him, and it's talking about how the Holy Spirit is going to rest on this kid that he's going to have somehow, even though he's super old, and that the Holy Spirit's going to be with that kid the entirety of his life. Holy Spirit hasn't done anything in 400 years, and all of a sudden there's angels, there's babies that are coming, and Holy Spirit's going to be doing stuff, and it's just full crazy. And Zechariah's probably trying to just wrap his head around the immensity of what God is, is communicating to him right here. And he says this, speaking of his son John, which is going to be John the Baptist, the one who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. He says that he's gonna turn many of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. All those people who went away, who, who, who abandoned the true religion, he's gonna turn their hearts back towards God. He's gonna go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He's saying, look, your son isn't just gonna be some random guy. He's gonna be the God, the precursor to the savior the promised one from Genesis 3, like the one of whom we've all been hoping for forever, that guy and your son's gonna prepare the way for him. That's incredible. See, he's, Zechariah's been praying for a child and this angel just told him he's gonna get one. He's been praying for this spiritual darkness, this, this 400 year thing to come to an end, for God to come back to his people and God's telling him it's gonna happen. He's been praying for the Savior to come, and he just told him that's going to happen. Like, all of this huge stuff is going to happen, and, then, and this angel standing in front of him, physically standing there in this room with him, telling him it's going to happen. You would think that Zechariah would just be incredibly like, blown away, beyond overjoyed, right? If everything that you had been praying for, everything that you've been hoping for, everything your people have been hoping for for generations was told, man, this is coming, it's coming true, like not forever from now, but like right now, you would expect that that would be met with joy, but it's not. 
See, because the next stage for Zechariah is doubt. The next stage for Zechariah is doubt. It says that Zechariah didn't receive it with joy. It says that Zechariah said to the angel, how, how will I know this? How's, how can this be? How, how, can that, how can that be possible? He says, for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Look, bro, an angel of God just like blipped into the room with you and told you some stuff. And now you're like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a thing, angel boy. Like, I'm pretty old. And, uh, yep, that's about all I got to say about that. Right? I mean, that, that's all you got. I'm pretty old. Well, good. Dummy. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, this seems just crazy. But, like, listen, he's been praying for this stuff. He's been praying for a child because, he's, because the angel says your prayer's been heard. You've been praying for a child. The angel knows you've been praying for a child. God heard your prayer. The angel tells you that God heard your prayer, and he's going to answer it. And all of a sudden, you're like, nah, I don't, I don't think that's, that's going to be a thing, right? You, why, all, you're, you've been hoping for something. God tells you it's there, it's coming, and you're skeptical. I, th- I think that can be your place in the story. I think there's a lot of us um, who feel, this is before we meet Christ at all, we feel the need for something uh, more. Life feels kind of empty. It feels like, when, especially when you start getting up in high school, you start looking ahead and you're like, all right, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get a job and then I'm going to get old and die. All right. Like, is, this, is this really it? Is this really all life is for? I'm just supposed to like get a job, make some money, and die. And you're hoping that there's something more significant than that. And maybe somebody came along and told you that there's this savior of the world who uh, died on the cross to pay for all of your sin, to forgive you, to wipe you clean, to give you new life and life eternal, and to give you a purpose here. And all of a sudden you're like, nah, I don't know about that. There's something deep in your heart that's like crying for meaning and purpose and significance. And then when it's told how that can be given to you, if you receive that with skepticism, as that's, I've been there, but even in me, like that's absurd. That's absurd of us to have this deep soul longing for this God. Even if you can't articulate exactly how that comes together, but you know that there, man, there's gotta be something more than just this. And then we, then we, find it in this Jesus, this God who sent his son to die for you, to forgive you, to give you a new life, and all of a sudden it's skepticism. That can be your place in the story. I mean, Christians do this too. We, we, we say we know lots of things. If you're a Christian in the room, man, listen to me. We say that we know and believe lots of things until it becomes, until we have to use it. Like we say that we know that we're forgiven of all of our stuff, but then when we actually have to allow God to forgive us of something huge, we, we hesitate. And we end up dragging our sin around behind us and just living in the burden of our sin and won't let it go even though we know that God forgave us of it. We'll let it go. Live in grace. Move on. We, we say that, we, say that we, um, we know and believe that God's not going to tempt us beyond what we can handle. God's not going mean, to tempt us. He's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. He's gonna stop it before your breaking point, that you can withstand temptation. 
But then when temptation comes, you're like, I can't, I can't do this. And you fall over and over and over again. We say we believe all of these things. That we, we say we, we believe that we can, we can live above reproach, that we can be his ambassadors. We, we say we believe the Great Commission, that we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, that we're supposed to actually tell people about Jesus. We, you would tell me that, yeah, that's something I'm supposed to do until it comes, to whether, it comes to the point that you have the opportunity to do that. And you stay silent because somewhere you wonder if it's really your responsibility. We pray lots of things. I mean, we all pray lots of things. If you have prayer life beyond just when you eat meals, God bless the food. What does that mean, right? Like, if you pray beyond just meals and you've prayed for some stuff, would you be surprised if God did it? I mean, like, I pray for my boys' salvations. I don't want to be skeptical about whether God can do that. I pray big, crazy stuff for my boys. I pray that, that thousands of lives would be impacted because of my boys' faith. I don't want to be surprised when God does that. I don't want to be skeptical and like, Meh. I pray huge things for you. Like, freak you out huge stuff. Like, that, that literally the course of earth shifts because of you people. Because you're the most gifted, resourced people on the planet. Nobody has a better shot at changing the world for the cause of Christ than you people. So I pray that you do it. And I, I don't want to be surprised when you do. We pray these huge things. We claim these huge things. We say we know all this stuff. But then when it comes down to putting it into action or seeing it happen, we kind of get kind of skeptical and kind of weird about it and kind of wonder if God can really do anything about any of this. Can he really come through? Can he really change your life? Can it really matter in a significant way? And sometimes the, the answer in the forefront of your mind is no. You don't think he really can. And so you live like it. Zechariah's been praying this stuff, hoping for this stuff, wanting God to do this stuff, and then God shows up and says he's going to do it, and all of a sudden he's skeptical. Listen, if you're not a Christian in the room and you've been hoping for something more significant, don't receive the gospel with skepticism. Ask the right questions. Get all of your questions answered, but you've got to ask the questions. Don't just blow it off. And if you're a Christian in the room and you're at this point of skepticism of whether God can really really bring you through that thing, if he can really help you do that thing, if he can really empower you to, to do something more than just be a normal teenager, trust it. That's the whole point of this thing of Zechariah is that Zechariah had this moment where he didn't trust it, but the story doesn't end there. God punishes Zechariah for his, his lack of faith. And so the angels, <laughs> I want to read you the angel's response. The angel answered him. So he says, he basically says, mm, I don't think that can happen. And the angel gets irritated. I just imagine the, the angel's been real happy thus far, right? He's going to tell this guy he's going to have this kid and the savior of the world's coming and stuff. He's probably very excited. And then Zechariah uh, pulls a dumb move. And then I just imagine the angel, like locks it in. If I was ripped, I would have more effect, right? Just imagine I'm ripped, right? And the angel like just kind of, kind of bows up. And he, he says, <clears throat> I am Gabriel. Heard of me? Right? He said, I am Gabriel. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. That's his job description. <laughs> What'd you just say to me? I am Gabriel. Me and God hang out. Can, I, can you have a shut up? What are you talking about, right? 
I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, genius. Why do you question it? Why are you receiving the skepticism? Like, Zechariah is a priest. He knows the Old Testament. There's only two angels named in the entire Bible, and Gabriel's one of them. He's like repeatedly given these, these huge announcements that Zechariah would have known. Like a Bible character showed up in front of Zechariah. He's like, hey, you've been teaching people about me. I'm here. I say so. I stand in the presence of God. And he says, and uh, that God that I hang out with, he sent me here to speak to you and bring you this good news. So yeah, that's how you'll know, because I say so. He says, isn't that just because of that lack of faith thing, um, you're not going to speak or be able to hear until your kid's born. So <laughs> have fun with that. It's going to be real awkward. Also, your pregnant wife's going to be real mad because you can't hear anymore. So, so Zechariah gets this message, receives it with skepticism. That might be your place in the story. And for his lack of faith, God punishes him by making him literally deaf and mute, saying that's going to continue until what I, what I said is going to happen, happens. And then I'll let you speak in here again, but not until then. And so Zechariah walks out of the temple. He goes down the steps, and all these people thought he was dead because he'd been in there so long. And, uh, and they just expect him to go through the motions and leave. He's been in there like half an hour talking with an angel. And so he makes it down the steps, and he can't talk, and he can't hear anymore. And he's having to like sign to them that something crazy just happened. And then the passage just sort of takes a break and says, and then he went home. And then nine months later, uh, exactly what happened uh, what the angel told him was going to happen, happened. He had a kid. And eight days later, that's when they named babies. Um, they were trying, they were kind of arguing with, with Elizabeth about what they were going to name this baby. And, and so they go and ask Zechariah, what's his name going to be? The angel told him what his name was going to be. And so Zechariah writes on this wooden tablet thing, his name is John. And they, so Zechariah has come from a point of skepticism, not being able to believe this, but he's seen God do it. And so now he believes it. He believes it so completely that he's actually following through on it. He has faith now. He believes it so much he's following through on it. That might be your place in the story. I want that to be my place in the story. I want, to be in my, I want my place in the story to be faith where I believe so heavily what God has promised me, what God has offered me, that I actually follow through on it. So Zach, Zechariah's response after this, um, so by the way, he, he can speak uh, and hear after that moment. And his response to that belief is worship. So if that's where you are in the story, man, where you've kind of come to this point where you've made it past some of that skepticism and you're trying to trust God, you're trying to be faithful and live in it and enjoy it and live it out in significant ways. If you've come to a point where you've trusted the gospel enough to do something about it, then it, only, it comes with a couple of responses. I mean, the, the, the main one is worship, though. If, if what the Bible says that God has done for us, if that is really true and you've come to a point where you know it to be true, then our, our response is worship, which is the last stage for Zechariah. He writes this prophecy where he just gushes about the God of the universe. He says that blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He goes on and on and he gets down to the end and he describes the coming of the Savior as a sunrise. He says, where the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Remember, it's been 400 years of just pitch black, oppressive darkness spiritually. And then this, there's gonna be this moment of sunrise. Y'all look, I, I'm, I'm colorblind. I don't see sunrises. Like sunrises just like 
yellow sky. That's not a cool thing, right? That's not a, that's not a big deal. But, but you do. You get to experience it. I just kind of see it from a distance. There's some of you who have seen this sunrise in your life where you've been in a place of spiritual darkness and Jesus has come and there's been this beautiful, most magnificent sunrise in your life and you've experienced that in a huge way. Others of you have seen other people. You've seen it from a distance. You haven't experienced it. If you've never experienced Christ coming into your life, redeeming you, making you whole, you can do that. He's offered it to you. It's a gift that's been waiting on you your entire life, waiting for you to accept it. The people who invited you tonight, the people you've been in your small groups with, your small group leaders, me, we would love to answer questions about what that means, how that happens, so that you can get to experience the same sunrise in your life that we have in ours. Our band's coming. I'm going to pray for us, and, uh, well, I'm going to talk a little bit more because we've got, you, you come on, yeah, because we got, so basically the idea is, like, if we come to a point of belief, and that, that, should, that should result in worship. So we should worship because of what Christ has done. And so if Christ has done something significant for you, then this is your opportunity to actually respond to that significantly. So I wanna pray, and then hopefully they're gonna have instruments on and all that stuff by the time I stop, and you're gonna stand up and we're gonna, we're gonna worship together, okay? Let's do that. Um, Father, God, um, you know our stories. You know where we are in the story. You know that if we're still sitting in our spiritual darkness, you, you know that. God, if, if we're at a point of skepticism, you know that. If we've just gotten a taste of, of, of you being real and that's shocked us and it was not what we expected at all and we're just kind of being interested in, in maybe figuring this out, you know that. And you also know if we've come to a point where we believe what you've said to be true. And so God, for those of us in the room who have um, our response to you, God, we want to be people who respond in worship. God, help us um, to do that. Help us not to go backwards, not to backslide, not to go back to that darkness from whence we came, but Father, help